Well, George promised me that he would get Annie Duke to come and tell stories with us oh. on this tour. And we're going to sit right at this table because there was like a little yeah. table set up on the bus. We're going to sit right at this table. We're going to play poker. But she's going to take all our money. But I'm not going to care because we're going to learn a lot about poker. Hello, everyone. Welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame. I'm Jamie Berger. My guest today is Annie Duke. And as much as I hate it when talk show hosts say this kind of thing, she really is a dear old friend. Many of you may know her as a legendary poker champ. And others of you certainly know her as the runner-up to Joan Rivers on Celebrity Apprentice Season 2. I know her as Annie Letterer, who would always have finished the crossword puzzles I could hardly start during our 17th century lit survey, and as someone I would see bopping around nightclubs in New York. After college, we lost touch, but I looked Annie up in 2000 when, as a big poker fan, and mediocre as hell player myself, I was blown away to see that the person I knew as Annie Letterer had become Annie Duke, poker pro. I went and visited Annie a couple times in Vegas, and then I wrote a profile for, for our college alumni magazine, and we've stayed friends ever since. Annie's retired from both poker and TV, and is now a professional speaker, decision strategist, and one of the founders and directors of How I Decide, a nonprofit dedicated to helping youth become skilled decision makers, both in school and out. You can find them at howidecide.org. She is the proud mother of four. If you want to know more about how Annie went from near PhD in psychology to poker superstar, or about her current post-poker pursuits, check out AnnieDuke.com or go to the 15 Minutes website. That's 15MinutesJamieBurger.com or better yet, find our Facebook page where I'll have links up to that article I wrote, Lodos, many years ago and a whole bunch of other stuff Annie-related. Annie was one of the first people I recorded for 15 minutes back in the fall of 2014. Believe it or not, the host of Celebrity Apprentice did not even come up in our conversation. Here I am. Here we are in yeah. the Marriott in Boston. <laughs> Lovely. Sitting with Annie Duke. Well, I've known. Oh my God! For Thirty-one years. years. Long time. Thirty-one years. Long Jamie. time. Yeah. So, before we we talk about how we met and our our formative years, mm -hmm. 
if someone, you know, again, I might fill this in with an intro yeah. later, but someone said, who's Andy Duke? Why, you know, this thing is, this is about how you would know somebody. Who are you to the, to the public world? Well, to the public world, I would be a professional poker player. Yeah. Um, and then there's other things that have to do with, uh, I do public speaking, um, a lot of decision-making, critical thinking skills, coaching, um, so I'm, I'm, I guess I'm pretty known for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then some uh, charity work. Mm -hmm. So I did. I, fa I founded two charities. Um, been on the board of a couple other charities. But I would say primarily poker player, and then celebrity apprentice runner-up to Joan Rivers. Yes. May she rest in peace. Yes, you probably showed up again on Google searches a couple months ago. I got asked for comment, which was quite jarring because. I've been purposely uh, out, Silence, of the, yeah. out of the public eye mm -hmm. for two years, and then certainly like haven't had you know the Celebrity Apprentice was five years ago, mm -hmm. so more than that. So yeah. I I haven't had any interaction with her yeah. since the show, and all of a sudden I was being yeah. asked for comment, which I, which was very weird. Mm -hmm. but, and I did I did say something, you know, it allows you to manage your time in a different way because all of a sudden there's all these opportunities for kind of passive income. Yeah. So it really freed up a lot of time for me in terms of being able to spend time with my kids. I was a primary breadwinner yeah. for my kids for really my whole life. And, um, you know, so I had to work and I had to work a lot. I was supporting four kids. So having the opportunity to be able to do some things where I was making money when I wasn't working, yeah. um, you know, it really gave me a lot of time and a, and a lot of opportunity and access for my kids and, um, you know, so that was all like that was all good stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean that that's the thing. It, it opens up opportunities for you that wouldn't otherwise be there to be able to uh, meet people who are just really interesting, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, form friendships with people that you wouldn't otherwise form friendships with, who are like super cool and super creative or super smart or you know. And it's it's like anything else where like you know you certainly pick and choose your friends. It's just that you have you have so much more access in terms of the people who would w want to give you the time mm -hmm. to see if maybe it's a good match in terms of friendship, um, intellectual exchange, um, that kind of thing. Like it, just as an example, uh, I got to meet Dan Ariely and I, you know, we communicate once in a while and he's for people who know, he wrote yeah. a book called, um, predictably irrational, mm. uh, has an amazing TED Talk. Everybody should go watch it because it's really incredible. Dan Ariely. Dan Ariely, yeah. He's at Duke now. used to be at MIT. Um, really one of the absolute leading thinkers in behavioral economics. Mm -hmm. And behavioral economics is really in the, you know, it's the decision science world. And so it's really in my world. It's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. His work is something that I'm passionate about. Um, I talk about stuff like that all the time when I'm talking to executives. And even, even if you look at the way that I teach poker, it's through that lens. So he's like this amazing guy, super smart guy, charismatic, incredible. And we were at, I got asked to speak at a conference once and he was also a speaker. And then he reached out to me afterwards because he wanted to just ask me some things about the way that poker players think. And I would have never gotten to meet him otherwise. Um, you know, and it's not like we talk a whole lot. But I have access to him. Yeah. Like when when um, we started, how I decide, which is my new 
charity, which oh, is we charity. yeah, it's called How I Decide. So we uh, we create decision making and critical thinking skills curricula and mindfulness curricula. You know, I called him up and I said, <clears throat> you know, we need help with finding someone to do research for us or curriculum development or. Um, whatever it is, and it's like I can call him up. And then mm-hmm. he introduced me to a bunch of cool people. Like he introduced me to this guy, Todd Rogers, who is at Kennedy School, who does this incredible work. Uh, used to be someone who was like a get out, like a consultant for getting the vote out um, to get more people to vote. Like so people would come to him and he would figure out ways to increase voter turnout. And then he decided he wanted to do that for creating more um, resilience and grit in kids academically. And he's doing this really cool work at Kennedy School. And Dan Ariely is the one who introduced me to him. And it was all because, like, I got asked to speak at a conference because people knew who I was and they were interested in my story. And then this guy who, like, I completely admire, I got to make a connection with. And then he mm-hmm. introduced me to this other yeah. guy who's really incredible. Yeah. And, you know, that it's like that kind of access is mm-hmm. really amazing. I agree. and and But I also think it's important that in my life, if you approach someone articulately with something that they're going to be interested in, you you have, you stand a good. You don't have to be famous, but it sure That's helps. True, but it's a huge <clears throat> shortcut. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's just like it's this great way to just like be able to connect with the people that you want to be connecting with. You know, and I didn't use like I didn't care like I wasn't like. Oh, now I can get into a club. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, no, now I can talk to Dan. That's what we used to want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, it was like, now I can talk to Dan Ariely. Yeah. Like, this is really cool. I can talk to Todd yeah. Rogers. I can yeah. talk to Adam Gazzelli. I can right. talk you know, whoever. Like, it was, it, that was the really cool thing for me. Right. As opposed to knowing Thomas, the doorman at Danceteria. He was great, though. Um, do you remember, uh, what about Michael at Area? I, did, I never, you see, you were a little more connected there. <laughs> um, so... You've walked away, and you walked away from a place where, you know, you, in whatever, what year was Celebrity Apprentice? 2009. You know, you, you could have gone to be a more famouser person, <laughs> to coin a term. And you've walked away, and you have a great you know, family, new love, new yeah. home. Do you miss it? Do you miss the, the good parts enough that you, you, you know... No, I, it's, and it's not, it's not that there, I love the game of poker and I do too. there are many people in poker who I really love mm-hmm. and still love and still have great relationship with. I don't, I don't miss it. I don't mm-hmm. miss the day to day playing. I mean, in the mm-hmm. end, the, the thing is like, it's not an incredibly easy life to live, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, it was really funny. My manager when I left, said to me, like, you know, I'm, I'm happy that you're making this decision. Mm-hmm. It was always pulling teeth to get you to do anything anyway. Mm-hmm. I like keeping to myself. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Right. So, the, so aside from the poker, the positive attention is, it was it was what it was, and it served you well, but you, you, you know. Yeah, I mean, like I say, like, there were, there were, there were great things about, yeah. about being... And you know, a little bit famous, that there's no question about that. And I cherish those and I value the opportunities that I have. But there are really awful things mm-hmm. about being a little bit famous too, particularly in a world where there's social media. Because mm-hmm. people can say whatever they want to say. And it becomes as if it were true. Yeah, and I, th- I think that um, particularly when you're a woman, your looks are fair game, your weight is fair game, the way you dress is fair game... Your personality is fair game in a in a way that a I very think different, is different way than for men. Oh yeah, yeah. 
So I think that, you know, there's a lot of things that changed from when I started playing to when I left. And one of them was the fame. So when I started playing, there was no chance you would ever become famous playing poker. Like you could be well known with You could be a famous poker player, player. to poker players, yes. Yeah, like, so like people I know who you know, Stu Younger is. Yeah, yeah, like Doyle Brunson was Doyle, famous yeah. to me, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think that anybody outside of poker knew who Doyle yeah. Brunson was. Like, yeah. so you could be, and that would be the same as like being famous among advertising executives or something. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like that just means you're good at your job. Yeah, and, and it's right? funny. I hope to talk to a lot of people in that. Yeah. You know, and some of them who never have stepped beyond and I'm sure some will wish that they that the whole world could know what a great advertising executive they were and some will be like no I'm an executive instead of an actor yeah yeah exactly so yeah like I mean so yeah if you were famous within poker it just meant you were a good poker player Mm -hmm. like you were good at your job so you know and then in 2002 you know that all kind of turned around and changed and it was quite unexpected um, you know, and by the time 2003 rolled around, it was, like, all the rage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing is, I, I don't, like, I don't, I don't, re- I really don't regret what that fame did for me. Yes, there were negative things that came mm-hmm. along with it, for sure. But, but I don't regret it at all. No, I was like, just done, you though. Shouldn't. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I was just done. At some point, the you know, the negative outweighed the positive for me. And, you know, and I think that that's a choice that everybody makes. It doesn't matter whether it's a choice to, like, step back from fame or the pursuit of fame or whatever. It's like, you know, you're in a job and you start off really loving your job and then at some point the negative outweighs the positive and you switch careers or you're in a marriage and it starts off great and then at some point the negative outweighs the positive and you either go fix that or you get divorced and Mm -hmm. you... Find a new partner who fits you better. Or, you know, I don't think that it's there's anything different about that decision than any decision to transition in life. And I, I just made a transition decision that, uh, you know, at some point the negatives outweighed the positives for me and that mm-hmm. I would be happier just living mm-hmm. a, a very unfamous life. You know, it's funny. I, I was thinking I was going to end by asking you if, if the negatives could go away, would you ever go back and play tournament poker again? But I think what I really want to know is, if you could be anonymous, would you go play once a year for a month in the World Series? If I could be anonymous? If you could just, people wouldn't recognize you and you just get to go play like a player again. That's an interesting question. Yes. I would. I love the game. Yeah. If I could go completely anonymous mm-hmm. and go play in like a horse tournament mm-hmm. or in the main event mm-hmm. or something like that, I would... Yes, I would definitely do that. Yeah, I'd love to see you in the players. Yeah, only if I could be anonymous. But I really, really enjoy my life now. Like, I just live my life out of the spotlight, and it's great. Like, it really is. It's nice. Hey everyone, this is Jamie cutting in for just a moment from 2016. At this point, Annie and I, I said thanks, and we started to get ready to go out to dinner. And then we both, she said, wait, stop. That, that wasn't a good ending. That was, that, was, that was kind of dark and sad. And so she said, okay, okay, start the tape. I know what I want to talk about. 
And here's what we picked up with. So, oh, you know what? It's one thing that we should talk about, though, which was, I'll tell you, the best thing that fame gave me the opportunity to do was the moth. Oh, I meant to mention the moth because I loved your stories on the moth. So tell me about that. I, uh, that I'm very jealous of you because I want to tell stories on the moth. So here's, here's like, look, this is why fame is actually really great. And I feel like we ended up on a really, in a really dark place because we were talking about, mm-hmm. like, that I left yes. because the negatives outweighed the positives yes. for me, which is true. The negatives did outweigh mm-hmm. the positives. But interestingly enough, I'll tell you what happened when I left. What happened was the negative stuff went away because I just wasn't visible enough for anybody to really be talking about me anymore on social media. I wasn't confronting people at poker players anymore. And then the positive was just left because the fact is that people who are, you know, outside of the core of poker, it's not like they were caught up in any of that frenzy of hate Mm -hmm. toward my brother or hate toward me or any Mm -hmm. of that stuff. You know, they just knew me from watching me on TV or watching me on Celebrity Apprentice or whatever. And that that stuff has always been very positive. Um, So... So what happened was, you know, so during the course of things, um, I, I told you I went to this conference and, and met Darren Ariely yeah, at this yeah. conference. Well, it turns out that one of the people at this conference was a guy named Jeff Bezos. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, some so, guy. <laughs> so he had an event that I went to where I met a guy named um, George, uh, George Dawes Green. Mm-hmm. Um, and he happens to be uh, the founder of the moth. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I happen to meet him at this event. Um, so again, this is just like you know right. access, right? Yeah, like right. Yep. it's cool. So like most people who want to do the moth, they have to go do a story slam mm-hmm. and they have to win that, and then they. And by the way, I didn't even want to do the moth. Like I wasn't like, oh, I want right. to be a storyteller. So anyway, so he said to me at this event. Um, oh, I'd really like you to do a moth story, you know, and I'm like, I'm not a performer. Mm -hmm. Okay, whatever. But here's my number. Um, And then months went by and I was like, oh, this is great. He's forgotten, Um, which was good. So, but then he, he did, he called me up and he Mm -hmm. said, oh, uh, we're doing a main stage in New York and we'd love for you to come and tell a story. Um, And I don't know why I said, okay, because I have panic disorder Mm -hmm. because you like to say yes i do that's the thing like i just say yes to stuff Mm -hmm. i love like i just feel and the other thing that i do is like if something feels really terrifying to me i feel like i should do it so i think that that's why i ended up like uh public speaking as a career because i do have such bad anxiety disorder Mm -hmm. so uh you know when i was columbia i was really like in the throes of that when we knew each other and uh, you were, yes. Yes. You were, you were in the throes of a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of, like, anxiety, depression, like, really yeah. struggling with yeah. a lot of stuff. So, but I've always sort of decided, like, I'm just going to confront and you, it. And it's worked. Yeah. So, anyway, so he says, oh, you should come tell a story. So, yeah. uh, the moth, you'd get up and you do, uh, it's supposed to be, like, about 11 minutes, somewhere between 11 and 15 minutes. Um, yeah. I've done Porchlight, which was a San Francisco version. Yeah. Um, started, yeah. It's incredible, right? I loved it. So the deal is, it's spoken word, no notes, you can't write it down, it has to be autobiographical. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some amazing stories that have been told on there. One of my favorite stories actually was from, by Steve from Blue's Clues, mm-hmm. uh, which was, you should listen to it for this, because he talks about being fame-ish. Fame-ish. 
Okay. Is okay. what he says in it. And I don't I, have to write a note. It'll be on here. Yeah, yeah. it's Steve Burns from Blue's Clues, and okay. it's this incredible thing about he's this nerd, and then this person who looks like a Playboy bunny writes him because he got, like, listed in People magazines, like, top bachelors mm-hmm. or something, and, like, then... It's, it's such a great story. Um, but he talks about this idea of famousness. So... I, you know, they rehearse with you. So when you do a main stage, you like have a director mm-hmm. and they rehearse and with you and you, you're practicing this story for quite a while. And then, you know, you go and you do like a rehearsal with the other storytellers and, you know, you get up and you do the story. So I'm sitting in the audience the day that I have to do the story waiting and they put me on last, which was horrible mm-hmm. for someone with panic disorder. Headline. Um, and... <laughs> I, I'm, so I'm there, and I, I, I'm, the panic is rising. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not talking about, like, panic. I'm talking about, like, I'm having a panic attack. Full on. You can't breathe. Full on. Can't breathe. Yeah. Think I'm going to die. Yeah. And I'm actually thinking, like, I can't go up on stage. Yeah. Like, I really was like, I can't go up on stage. So, um, and I was having a hard time at that time anyway because my mother had just died. Mm-hmm. So then I decided I'm going to get up there because it's for my mother. Like, I just decided, like, this was going to be my... So I got up on stage, and here was the really interesting thing for me about my first moth. Was, so I had been teaching poker seminars for years. This was all the foundation for this book that I wrote. And I loved teaching poker seminars. Like, I loved students and, like... Teaching and like passing I went, I went on, to one. yeah, yeah really. passing on this passion that I had for this game to people and having the opportunity to do that. And I was like, oh, I loved teaching poker, loved it. But I was, I never had like a panic attack doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I get up and I do the decision making stuff with CEOs, like I don't have panic attacks doing that. I'll get nervous, but I don't have an attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized, okay, well, the reason why is that when I get up and I talk about poker and I'm teaching students, like I'm the expert in the room. Mm-hmm. So like nobody's gonna say, ah, she's an idiot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But like now, I was like doing something artistic. A, yeah, I'm telling a story. Telling a personal story. Yeah, you're exposing yourself. So, but but I, what I'd had this experience of in the past was that I would be nervous before I would get up and speak at a seminar or whatever, and then once I got into it, um, that would just go away because I would just be really into like mm-hmm. the teaching and the you know it was great. So I said, okay, I'm just gonna, if I get up on stage, then. Once I start telling the story, the panic attack will go away. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I've experienced this before. Right. So I get up, the panic attack never went away. Oh my god! It was I so forget funny. what the first story was you told. Um, it was about, it was called The House Divided, and it was about it was really the story of my relationship with my mother, or at least right. my the how my the lack of relationship with my mother when right. I was growing up. So I'm telling the story, and, and the whole time in the back of my head, I'm going. I'm still panicking. It's not going away. Oh, what's wait? I thought it would go away. I was so sure it would go away. And it was very funny because I I was telling the story, but I had this going on in the back of my head at the same time of sort of marveling at the fact that I was continuing to have a panic attack while telling the story. So if you listen to the story, if you know me, Mm -hmm. you could tell that I was very nervous. But you would have to know me to tell that I was really nervous. But I remember thinking you were nervous. Oh, yeah. I was really freaking out. And then I got asked to do it a couple times. I was going to say, yeah. (laughs) Right. Which, of course, I said yes to. So um, I've done, I did one in L.A. uh, Then I did another one, which was for, like, NPR executives. I did that. And then, this was really interesting. So then this is the backstory. And, again, this idea of, like, the really cool things that come out of fame. Mm Mm-hmm. There, there's um, something called the Unchained Tour, 
that George does, where he throws a bunch of storytellers on one of those old bluebird buses mm -hmm. with no heat. Uh, and you travel around these little towns in the south. So George is from the south, and he uh, loves, and, you know, and so these are little towns that don't necessarily have, like, access to NPR. And um, really, uh, this, it's this incredible idea. And you, for, for 10 days, you, get, you tell stories. And you specifically come with only one story that's sort of half rehearsed. It's not even completed. And before the first yeah. night, you complete that first story, mm -hmm. and you're, you have to tell at least three stories. I actually ended up telling five because I told a, the story. George asked me on one night to tell the story that I had told in L.A. This sounds so great. Um, so uh, <laughs> we have a note we have a from note a child. We have a note slid under the door. That says... That says... Can I have... The phone charger. Oh. Maud. You want your phone back, Maudie? We're almost done. There you go. Here you go. Thank you, honey. Thanks. Okay, so... Okay, so... So I'm, I'm sitting before I go onto stage in L.A. Mm -hmm. So this is the second time I've done the moth. I'm already starting to panic. Mm -hmm. And um, George wanted to talk to me. So uh, we met in a restaurant. This is a few hours before I have to go on and do the, the show. And I'm already very, very anxious. And we're talking about a whole bunch of stuff. It turns out we had like a whole bunch of stuff in common in the last couple of years. Like we had both lost people that were really important to us. And, he, and when I said that I lost my mother, he said that he had lost this woman named Wanda, who was really the inspiration for a woman named Wanda Bullock, who was the, the inspiration for him founding the moth. Like when mm -hmm. he talks about the moth, he says like, me and Wanda used to sit on the porch and we would tell stories until, you know, the morning basically. And uh, the moths would be, you know, flying uh, into the porch light. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely loved this woman. Like, really yeah. loved this woman. Very close relationship with this woman. And he said to me that he had promised Wanda that he was going to ask me to come do this Unchained tour. So, I, I, you know, I was like, oh, you know, what is it? And he told me, you know, you're nine days traveling around in the South. You're really not, you know, you're sleeping like either on the bus or in people's houses who sort of offered mm -hmm. up a room to you. And you're like a band of gypsies. Uh, and you go play these little tiny towns, and it's pretty incredible. Uh, so Wanda was from this place called Boonville, and which was in Mississippi. So one of the nights on our tour, mm -hmm. and this was the third tour that um, ha we had done, that he had done, not I wasn't on there, but this was his third version of the tour. Uh, we go and we play there. And I, I'm going to go on, like, before we start the night, and he's asked me this night, will you please tell the story? He said, I know, this was after I'd already left poker. He said, I know that you don't really want to tell a poker story. But the story that I had told in L.A. was mm -hmm. the story of the Tournament of Champions. Yes. That I had won. Um, that was really a story about self-doubt, right? Uh, about not believing in yourself, believing mm -hmm. your critics. Which related back to, it's this idea of, you know, yes. what happens when you're famous and you have people who are very vocal who are critical of you and saying that you're a fraud or not, you know, and how much are you buying into that? And mm -hmm. I think that particularly as a woman, you're more likely to buy into that. I think particularly mm -hmm. in terms of who I am and my own anxieties and things like that. So that, that's, that story was really about this idea of like not having confidence in yourself, really doubting yourself, really believing your critics uh, and how you sort of journey through that. So he asked me if I would tell that story that particular night and we're, so I'm sitting, you know, we're all sitting in this little audience in this little tiny town and he plays a video before we start and 
Wanda had been on the first Unchained tour mm-hmm. and sort of had devised the idea with George, like, we're going to, you know. And um, she, I, you know, she died before the second Unchained tour. Mm-hmm. So here's this video, and she's sitting in the seat on the bus that I myself had now sat in, you know, because we'd already been on the tour for like four days. And she's saying in the video to George, well, George promised me that he would get Annie Duke to come and tell stories with us on this tour. And we're going to sit right at this table because there was like a little table set up on the bus. We're going to sit right at this table. We're going to play poker, but she's going to take all our money, but I'm not going to care because we're going to learn a lot about poker and, and we're going to get to play poker with her. And he promised me, he's promised me that she's going to come on this tour. And I had no idea. Like when, when he had mentioned it to me, like I knew that she had died. Right. And when we had had lunch that day, um, you know, he had just said, like he was talking about Wanda, he just said that he had sort of promised her that, like, that he was going to get me to come on it, but he hadn't told me like this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And he did not tell me that he was going to play this video. And it was this really interesting moment for me because it was, a, it was a time which was very close to this time that I had left poker. And so at that time, I hadn't had time for my positive feelings of poker to sort of reemerge. Mm-hmm. And I was really living in the negative part, you know, in the end. When was the tour? The tour was in January of 2013, and I left poker in June of 2012. So this was only six months. And so I still really was living very much in sort of the darkness of it and wasn't feeling, I I wasn't experiencing really in any real way the, the great things that come out of being famous. Like... I couldn't experience that anymore at that time. And to the extent where when I went on this tour, I was very clear with George, like, I don't want to tell a story about poker. Like, I don't want, I'm not living there now. I don't feel good about mm-hmm. it. I feel very negative toward it. And so I don't want to. And, you know, and, and then he said this, okay, that's fine, but you have to tell a story this one night about poker. Because you wanted to show the video. So he gets up, right, yeah. So, So he shows this video and it was like, for me, it was it was really like I just burst into tears because for me, it was this kind of opening back up of what was so positive about it, you know, that there were so many people who like got joy from the game and and got joy from watching me play. Like she really wanted me to be mm-hmm. and they used to have this poker. So he told this amazing game about like playing poker with Wanda. Wanda loved playing mm-hmm. poker. How old was she? She she was old she was older when she died. That's what I, I imagine. And um, she was like this old Southern woman. And he told this game about this night, you know, story about this night when he was playing poker with her and some other people, and cats running across the table, mm-hmm. like because they're playing like at a dining room table, mm-hmm. you know, and um, this crazy game and just it, it just ha- you know they clearly just loved it and it was just like this social thing and. Just, this this game just brought her so much joy, like clearly brought her so much joy. And he's just it's so great with like the cats running across, like knocking the chips over. And it was a great story that he told. And I think people can find that story that he told online. Um, I think it's been on the podcast. I'm mm-hmm. telling this story about Wanda. And so he tells the story and that's before I get up and tell the story, but I've already seen the video. So now I have this combination of her words, like this video of her mm-hmm. talking about 
you know, he told me, he promised me she's going to come on this tour, you know, and now I understand like why he found me to come get me to do the moth mm -hmm. and then to come get me to do the Unchained tour. And it was really funny. And she said, because he told me he knows her. You know, it's this great thing. Like, he told me he knows her. Like, he knows Annie Duke. And he's, you know. And then he tells this story about mm -hmm. this great joy that this, you know, this joyful game and this great joy that it gave her. And, and I just was like, you know. And then I kept it together and I got up and I told the story about the Tournament of Champions. And then afterwards, I just broke down because it was like, it was just this moment where I was like, you know, that's, that's why, like, it was this unlocking of what I hadn't been able to experience for quite a while. Like, really, you know, it had started before the World Series. So I had sort of lived in this darkness for about a year by then. And just really, if you would ask me about poker during that time, I would have said, there's nothing good about it. Right. You know, if you'd asked me about being famous, I would have said, it's horrible. Yeah. And it was just, it was like there was this light, you know, and it was... It, it was the start of me being That's able great. to sort of reprocess and say, you know what, there were some bad things that happened, some because things were unlucky, some because of choices that I made. But there's a lot of great things about the game, and there's a lot of great things about being famous and the people that you get to meet and what you get to do because of it. So it wasn't just that I've gotten to do the Moth and the Unchained Tour, which has been... A really amazing experience for me conquering a horrible fear mm -hmm. getting to tell stories that are meaningful to me and hopefully meaningful to other people but also this this one moment of seeing Wanda on that video that's and then amazing. hearing George's story it's great that he didn't tell you he did not tell yeah, me it was like just, then there's just this video of this woman and uh, Thanks, Annie. That was amazing. <laughs>